This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Well, as nearly impossible to believe as it is, uh, we are at minor league all-star game time already in the 2017 baseball season. And that, I don't know how on earth that happened, but hey, welcome in everybody. The 115th episode of the show before the show podcast from MILB.com. It's good to have you along with us. I'm Tyler Mont. Sam Dykstra is in New York City. We are recording this today on uh, Tuesday the 20th, and we've got all-star games going on in the minor league. How did this happen? The season started five minutes ago. Well, the the way that happened, Tyler, is the, uh, the world, the, the planet, it spins on its axis. It goes around the sun. Every year, middle of June. That's what comes Kyrie up Irving us. tells me. Yeah, and that's uh, and while we're on that subject of just moving around the sun and and things happening as they do once a year, the reason why we're recording this on Tuesday is Wednesday is your oh, birthday. Oh no, we didn't have to, didn't have to put that out there. It is. That's oh, true. we did though. Oh, we did though. Which apparently today is actually the summer solstice solstice, but um, to me it's always the twenty first. It's always the first day of summer, so I'm not I'm not celebrating the first day of summer until tomorrow. Sorry, everyone. <laughs> Just <laughs> didn't happen. There's that way. first day of summer, and then there's first day of summer observed. Right, right, yeah, that works. Sure, we'll go with that. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's always a good time of year, but this is bizarre because it's we got short season. The draft is in the bag. We're already past that. We've got short season league starting this week and at the end of last week, and uh, and now we've got minor league all star games, and we're past the midway point really for full season leagues almost. It's yeah, we've got what half of June, insane. all of July, all of August, and then a couple days in September. And that's it. And then playoffs. Yeah, that's it. Man, huh? oh, man. I mean, it's a very it's a very busy time. Like, that makes it sound like, oh, yeah. Right, yeah, exactly. Man, season's cases, basically over. Season's over. <laughs> yeah. No, it's like once those short season leagues hit, uh, things really p- pick up on our end. And, you know, in exciting ways, we get to see a lot of guys we haven't seen yet this spring, um, see how they've been doing since the spring. Uh, we get to see a lot of these draft picks in their, their first, you know, pro environment see how they can handle that sometimes for the college guys how they move to wood bats uh for the high school guys just what they're gonna do on an on a daily basis uh things of that nature so uh yeah it feels like a lot of the season has already gone by but there's so much still to happen uh that it's kind of exciting to see how much baseball we're gonna add here in the uh, weeks ahead. Yeah, this is going to be a bunch of fun. And I'm sure if you added up all the times that I was like, oh boy, I can't believe how fast time's going on this podcast. It would have been a ton of times, but uh, it still feels like this has been a very, very fast start to the season. Um, and as of yet, uh, we don't have the full group of leagues into the pool. We're still waiting on some opening days and short season ball, um, but everybody gets started this week. And 
that's just nuts to me. Short season ball is really like, that's when you know you're in the heat of the baseball season. When all the short season leagues get rolling and you start getting guys out of the, the college, uh, the NCAA tournament and out of the College World Series, those guys start to sign, those guys start to play. Then it's full on pushing toward postseason, all that kind of stuff. But we've already crowned some division champions in the first half in full season leagues. Um, and we'll be talking about where some top prospects are going to be headed. We just got news about one of those that we'll be discussing here in a little bit. And one of those big pivotal times of year here as we near the last uh, week and a half of the month of June, the season's second full month across the minor league ranks, and uh, episode number 115 of the Show Before the Show podcast from MILB.com. He's Sam Dykstra. I'm Tyler Mon. You can find us now uh, on Google Play for those of you who uh, at one time tuned in on Zooms and, uh, and no longer do. We heard from our good buddy uh, Matthew who had a Zune and listened to us with regularity on the Zune, and the Zune finally died, which made us so upset. Uh, but with Matthew's input, um, we got the show put onto uh, Google Play, so you can now find us there if you are an Android user. Uh, you can also find us on the Stitcher app or on iTunes Podcast, and everywhere you find us, give us a rating and a review and a subscription, and that kicks us off into strike number one of three strikes for this week's edition of the show. And we're going to get things started with some bummer news out of the New York Yankees organization, where the Yankees will be without their top prospect, Glaber Torres, who is done for the season and more, with Tommy John surgery and necessity in his left elbow there's a lot of stuff that stands out about this story but one thing in that conversation that will start the the point about this is that note right there it's in his left elbow so keep that in mind this is the lead from sam's story uh an ascendant season for glaber torres has come to an abrupt halt the yankees top prospect will undergo tommy john surgery after being diagnosed with a torn ulnar collateral ligament in his left elbow the organization announced monday there's no set date for the procedure yet but he will miss the rest of the 2017 season a tweet from the yankees pr department uh on monday said quote earlier today infielder glaber torres was seen by Yankees head team physician Dr. Christopher Ahmad at New York Presbyterian Hospital and diagnosed with a torn ulnar collateral ligament in his left elbow. Torres will undergo Tommy John surgery at a date to be determined. He is expected to be recovered in time for 2018 spring training. Left elbow. This is not a throwing injury. Glaber Torres, there was some confusion about this on social media. Glaber Torres was injured on a slide at the plate. This just seemed like kind of a one-in-a-million type of deal where Torres had his left arm as he was reaching out on kind of a hook slide to tap home plate trying to score a run the other day uh, for AAA Scranton-Wilkesbury on the road at Buffalo. Reached out was tagged and kind of had that arm pinned under him, immediately rolled over, was in pain. But it's not his throwing arm. It wasn't a throwing injury. This isn't the same type of thing that we see with pitchers that we see every once in a while with infielders, with position players. This is a different situation. And that, on the one hand, breaks your heart because a guy who's going through a breakout season who's one of the most exciting prospects in baseball, we're not going to get to see him for a long time. And that's awful. On the other hand, it's a little bit of a better case scenario because since it's not in the throwing elbow, the recovery time is going to be a lot shorter and Torres should be 100% ready to go in 2018, Sam. Yeah, that that's one thing I thought that tweet from the Yankees PR staff was very interesting in pointing out. It, it didn't say he will miss the remainder of the 2017 season, right. I don't think. It said he will be back for 2018 spring training, which is just classic PR stuff regardless of the uh, throwing arm issues. And all all that positivity. Kind of Right, yeah, you focus on when he is going to be back, not the time missed. Um, but yeah, no, this is completely unfortunate. Uh, 
you know, like like I said in that lead of a story, you know, this was supposed to be an ascendant year. This was a year that he had started in double A in the Eastern League as the youngest player in the Eastern League at 20 years old. And then did incredibly well there at an 863 OPS. And the questions started to get a little louder. Okay, so if he's doing well now, you know, if he's hitting the ground running here, what is that going to mean? Well, the Yankees got aggressive. They pushed him up to AAA Scranton Wilkes-Barre after only 32 games in Trenton. Uh, after 23 games here in Scranton Wilkes-Barre, um, putting up similar numbers. He was hitting 309 again in 863 OPS, same OPS that he had in AA. Uh, still one of the youngest players, if not the youngest player in the International League. Uh, you know, they were moving him around the infield. They were trying to get him regular time at third base, maybe to potentially take over for a struggling Chase Headley in the Bronx. Uh, things were just lining up so well. You know, the Yankees are are doing really well this year. They're leading the American League East. Um, they're going to need all the help they can get in that second half if they want to hold off the Red Sox and the surging Blue Jays and in a pretty talented division. So, you know, it seemed like this was going to be a year that we were going to see Gleyber Torres in the Bronx you know, showing off his young talent at the highest level in the game. Um, and it just gets cut so short and just so abruptly in this way. Uh, you know, th this isn't anything that was building. It's not like he had taken a couple weeks off and the, they just finally decided, okay, you know, now's the time to get the surgery. This wasn't like a normal pitching issue. Like Braxton Garrett uh, was announced today that he's undergoing Tommy John surgery in the Marlin system, but that was after getting multiple opinions and all this kind of stuff with Torres. It was literally guy went in slide, reached out his left hand, got banged on the left elbow, just happened to be the UCL, the ulnar collateral ligament. Um, the one we always talk about with Tommy John surgery, you know, it's a ligament. It can get torn. It can get right. ripped. Anything can happen with it. The same as your hamstring, the same as, you know, any muscle you have. It's not necessarily that, it was a throwing issue. It was literally just a slide. And it, it's really unfortunate. Tommy John is such a buzzword in the game right now. To hear it with any player, position, or uh, you know, or pitcher, it sounds scary. But because it's his left elbow, not his right, he doesn't need to throw it. He doesn't need to use it that much other than in these situations for running and um, you know, a little bit in, in fielding and using that's his glove arm. But he doesn't need to go through a rehab process and get used to throwing again. And that usual 12 to 16 months we talk about with pitchers, that's not going to be the case with him. So to go back to that Yankees PR statement with them saying, we expect him to be healthy by the time by, you know, 2018 spring training. That's great. That's a great optimistic note to hear. Uh, what that's going to be after that rehab process you know, is he going to go right back to Scranton Wilkes-Barre to start the year? Are they going to kind of ease him in, make sure he's fully healthy again? Uh, who knows? You know, it's going to have to play itself out. Every body is different. Um, and I'd say that every space body is different. Um, so we don't know exactly how he's going to heal from it until he does so. Uh, how is it going to affect his hitting? Because that's still, you know, hitting is kind of an all-body uh, act. So that's going to take some time as well. Uh, he's going to be taking a half a year off, so he's got to face live pitching again. All these things are going to kind of come into question. So it kind of puts his Major League debut off by a year. We're no longer talking about second half of 2017. We might not be talking about him making his debut until the second half of 2018. Uh, but, you know, if there's one thing Torres has shown since he's come to the Yankees, it's do not doubt him. Uh, you know, he was the MVP of the AFL last year. 
uh, you know, was on track to be an Eastern League All-Star this year, despite being the youngest player, on track to be one of the best hitters in the IL, despite being one of the youngest players. Um, so I would not doubt that he can still force his way to the Bronx next year, uh, but this certainly delays that. And uh, to see that happen with such a young player, and one was filled with such talent, you know, the number two overall prospect in the game right now, uh, some people think he's even better than Yohan Mankata, um, given the fact that he could stay at shortstop if they really needed him to. And plus, his overall hit tool is one of the best in the game, if not the best, uh, for young prospects. Um, just so much promise there. And, and to see it you know, thrown up against a red light like this is, is disappointing. But it is a freak accident. Nobody, nobody to blame. Uh, nothing to do about it except for just wait and see how uh, Torres comes back. One of the things I thought was interesting about this, Yankee general manager Brian Cashman and uh, quote to MLB.com said, quote, he was obviously developing really well. We're going to lose three months of development time plus winter ball. It's disappointing, but injuries are part of the game. Thankfully, at this stage, it's still a correctable one. It's not super often that you hear a major league GM in June confirmed that a player was likely destined for winter ball. Um, a lot of teams like to keep that stuff pretty close to the vest, but um, the Yankees seem to uh, have had that as part of the developmental plan for Glaber Torres, which suggests to me, and this is just speculation, but suggests to me that if they weren't planning on having him in the lineup by the end of 2017, certainly 2018, it looked like a, an opening day job was a legitimate possibility for Glaber Torres, um, even if he had struggled toward the end of 2017 in the minor leagues, because you send a guy to AAA at that age, you get him in a winter ball, you get him as much high-level rep as possible. That suggests that this is a guy that you really want in the major league lineup and contributing as quickly as is feasible, not as quickly as possible, but as quickly as you believe you can get him there and get him to be productive. It's so like Sam said, this sets it back a little ways. Big bummer for the Yankees, big bummer for Glaber Torres. But one other note that was also uh, in this Yankee story from Brian Hogg. He said, quote, uh, in case Torres or the Yankees need any encouragement, they can look to the Astros. Then a 19-year-old shortstop prospect, Carlos Correa, suffered a serious injury, a broken right fibula three years ago this week. That was when he was Class A advanced Lancaster, which ended his 2014 season. He has obviously roared back to enjoy a superb beginning to his major league career. There was a lot of talk toward the end of that 2014 season that Correa might have been able to return for the postseason. Um, the Astros held off on that, and obviously Carlos Correa has turned into one of the best players in the game. So the fact that this is not in his throwing arm and the fact that it is an injury that we know there is a a pretty set timetable for return. Like Sam said, everybody is going to react differently and everybody's body and everybody's recovery timetable is going to be a little bit different. But the fact that it's not a throwing arm and there is an established protocol for how to rehab and get back to 100% from Tommy John surgery is one thing. I would be interested to know, and this is a topic for a different day, but I would be very interested to know what the rehab process is like for Tommy John surgery on an elbow that is not your throwing elbow because so often – that's all the discussion. Yeah, I, had the, I was doing the hand in the bucket thing. I'm squeezing rice. Then I'm figuring out how to throw a ball again. Then I'm throwing from 10 feet. Then I'm throwing from 30 feet. Then I'm going 60 feet. Then it's long toss, whatever. If it's on your glove hand, what are you doing? You're just fielding grounders? I don't know how that works. It'd be kind of interesting <laughs> I mean, to I'm know, I'm sure though. it still involves the, the hand in the uh, Yeah, rice, the, the sure. rice thing I'm sure is still going on. There's probably a lot of like hydrotherapy or something. But um, yeah. the you know the timetable you would think would be a little bit more expedited because you aren't going to have to test it in a throwing manner. Um, but that was important to clarify because there were a lot of people that were like, oh, man, and now we're seeing Tommy John surgery for, for infield prospects, blah, blah, blah. No, not the case. It's an unfortunate thing because of the slide, because of the tag, and because of the way the tour has landed. But that's sports, man. I mean, that happens 
and it's a bummer that we're not going to get to see Glaber Torres for the rest of the year, but of course we wish him all the best in his recovery from Tommy John surgery on his left elbow. Strike two, Sam. Short season leagues are getting rolling all across uh, not only the country, but uh, in Latin America. The Dominican Summer League has been going on for a few weeks now, uh, but the Pioneer League, the Northwest League, the New York Penn League, the Appalachian League, the Arizona League, the Gulf Coast League, all of those circuits are set or started already for 2017. Who are you keeping an eye on in the short season leagues? Yeah, there, there's one uh, combo that's very interesting to me. It's going to be at Mahoning Valley. Uh, they've already got a game under their belt. Uh, it, it's that uh, number six prospect in the Indian system, Nolan Jones, uh, will also be paired up with number seven prospect in that Indian system, Will Benson. Uh, Benson, it, for those who are long-term listeners, uh, might remember he was our guest on the show last year. I got to speak to him from the media luncheon. Uh, he was a really athletic player, had been part of Team USA, uh, traveled to the World Cup in Japan, done all these things. Um, he was a commit to Duke, and there was talk about maybe him playing both baseball and basketball. Uh, very athletic, obviously, in order to play both of those sports, but he's also very tall. He's six foot five, 225 pounds. Uh, lots of power behind that, good speed, uh, especially for that frame and a good arm. Would he be able to hit? Uh, the Indians have actually held him back. He was coming out of high school. Um, so he was not going to do a full season this year. I think they wanted to see more out of that hit tool. Uh, they wanted to see him make more contact. He was a guy who struck out a bunch last year in the AZL, uh, you know, during his small taste of, of pro ball initially. Um, so, uh, yeah, he struck out 60 times in 158 at-bats. That's pretty on the high side. Uh, it resulted in only a 209 average, but he still hit six homers in 44 games. So you got the whole taste. I don't think they saw exactly what they wanted to in spring this year to push him uh, to Class A Lake County, so they held him back. They also had that same strategy, though, with Nolan Jones, who they got in the second round uh, last year in 50, the 55th overall pick. Uh, he's a third baseman, again, with a pretty good arm, a much better hit tool. He, uh, MLB.com gave him a 55 on the 20 to 80 scale. Uh, they had to take him out of a Virginia commit with a $2.25 million bonus. Uh, so it took a lot of uh, negotiation for that, a lot of talking into you know, him becoming a pro. Um, so now you know, these were two exciting picks for an Indian system last year that you know, looked, at the time looked like it was going through one of its best seasons ever. Uh, obviously, we know how that turned out with them making the World Series. Uh, they have not gotten ag aggressive with these two guys. Now, what does that mean about them? You know, like I said, with, with Benson – it probably means they thought he needed more time in an extended spring training and wasn't ready uh, for Class A ball. Does it also mean they're just not ready to be aggressive with these guys? Are they? They know the investments they made with them. Uh, you know, multi-million dollar signing bonuses. Uh, are they not pushing them too hard? Maybe there's a decent chance both of them could end the season in Lake County uh, if they do well enough now. Um, but the Indians, being what they are right now, you know, a contending team in the AL Central. Uh, with a lot of good pieces at, in the upper minors, you know, Francisco Mejia at double A, Bobby Bradley at that same level, uh, Tristan McKenzie at class A advanced. Uh, you know, the, their major league roster is pretty set right now. They don't need these high school guys or guys coming out of high school uh, to rush to the majors. You know, there's plenty going on. There's not that much pressure on them. Let them come into their own, get the success where they can find them. Now, what's going to happen with uh, – Benson and Jones, are they going to be able to take care or take this opportunity and run with it? Or are we going to see that they still have a lot of room to grow? 
I mean, for Benson, it's only one game, and I'm I'm not pouring his entire stock into it. But he did strike out three times in his first four at bats in that uh, scrappers opener uh, this week. So, um, you know, lots of questions still with these guys. What? How well are they going to hit? How well is is their game going to translate to a non-complex level? Um, but the fact that they are both together tells me a lot about the Indian strategy with them and also who they are as prospects. Uh, and uh, I'm look, very much looking forward to where they can grow and how they will grow in the uh, months ahead. Yeah, I think that's good. I like the uh, the pair that you picked for the uh, rookie level Pioneer League, which is uh, a duo out of the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim organization. I can't ever leave the of Anaheim out. Um, but a pair of former two sport athletes, Brandon Marsh, who was a second round pick of the Angels in 2016, and a name that uh, people may be familiar of, Tory Hunter Jr. Uh, of course, the All Star Tory Hunter's son, five time All Star, as Sam points out in the story. Those two will take the field together as outfielders for the rookie-level Orem Owls in the Pioneer League. It's a league that's very conducive to offense. Two very young guys. Torrey Hunter Jr. is uh, just 22 years old. He just had his 22nd birthday two weeks ago. Brandon Marsh just turned uh, 18. Or no, check that, just turned 19 in December. And two guys who... When you cut your teeth in the Pioneer League, that's a rough league to get started in because the travel is tough in that league. There's a lot of really long road trips in that league, a lot of offensive, very offensively friendly environments. Um, so it's uh, you kind of get thrown into the fire really quickly in the Pioneer League. But it seems like we've seen pairs like this come out of that circuit in recent years guys who have jumped in and have sort of made you know you kind of think I always think of that team the Isan Diaz's team in Missoula when he was still a member of the Arizona Diamondbacks organization and Diaz has since moved on to the Milwaukee Brewers system but there were a lot of young talented guys on that roster who you see then start to make the climb together and the Pioneer League for whatever reason it seems like guys who start there stick together a long time throughout their careers when you start in the GCL you start in the Arizona League even the Appy League to an extent guys move on much more different timetables because they're a little bit lower volume, a little bit lower level in terms of classification in rookie ball. But in the Pioneer League, Guys like Torrey Hunter and Brandon Marsh, you really get a chance to see what they're able to do against some of the better talent at that level. It's not the the ultimate barometer to judge just how good a player's future returns are going to be, but you get that first inclination of, okay, what is this guy's track going to look like? Does he just blow through this league, and does that mean that he's going to be on a, a faster road to Class A advance, that type of thing, to get his career started through his first couple of seasons? Or is he somebody who's going to need, especially for the guys coming out of high school, somebody who's going to need a little bit more refining in the lower levels of the minor leagues? But those two are really excited. Torrey Hunter and Brandon Marshall will start things uh, with the Orem Owls in the Pioneer League. That league is really fun, um, and they have a bunch of guys in that league who – you always are wary of somebody who's just going to be able to blow up offensively because every every year, it seems like in the Pioneer League, we see somebody who's going to hit 375 over the course of a year. But if you do it well there, then you've got a chance to make that jump before the end of the year and maybe contribute in the Midwest League or the South Atlantic League or wherever before the end of the season because it is such a jumping off point at that low level. Yeah, and, and one thing I just want to throw out there before it gets uh, too confusing for anybody listening Um there was a Pioneer League preview that was written by this is a great name. Uh, wasn't me, um, but it was Fritz Neighbor on this on this Orem outfield. Solid name. It's a fantastic name, and I wish my byline was that cool. Uh, but yeah, read more about that 
that Orem outfield in Fritz Neighbors uh, Pioneer League preview. Uh, yeah, that that Pioneer League it, it always sneaks up on me as a hitters league. I don't know why. Maybe it's because it it is a short season. East Coast we bias. don't follow it for the same amount of time as like a California <laughs> league or a yeah. PCL or anything like that. Right. But um, yeah, DJ Peters last year led that league with a 1.052 OPS for Ogden. Uh, he hit 13 homers in 66 games. Uh, he's now a legit prospect in that Los Angeles Dodgers uh, system. Hitting. And in high A. Yeah, at high A. He made the jump right away. Uh, you know, he was coming out of um, a, a junior college, I think, in western Nevada. But still, they, they saw enough out of him at that Pioneer League to give him that push in, in this his first full season. So, uh, yeah, that, that Pioneer League, it can get a little funky. You can see... For sure, some uh, some crooked numbers. I think last year the uh, league hitting champ was Mabris Valoria, who hit get this 376 in 58 games, um, which is a little nuts. But I guess if Brendan Rodgers can hit 400 in the Cal League, we shouldn't really blink twice about somebody hitting in the 370s in the Pioneer League. But uh, yeah, I always keep that kind of grain of salt with them. But I, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're not going to hit at the upper levels. So it's a good test. Um, if you're not going to be able to hit in the Pioneer League, you're probably not going to be hit, be able to hit somewhere else. So uh, look out for those video game numbers. Um, you know, look at them a little harder than you normally would, but uh, don't be surprised. You know, if they carry that forward. As Fritz Neighbor also pointed out in that story, the uh, last alumnus of the Pioneer League to win National League Rookie of the Year honors was. Corey Seager last year with the Dodgers who played in the Pioneer League just four years earlier in Ogden in 2012 and prior to that it was Will Myers on the AL side he's the last American leaguer to win rookie of the year who played in the Pioneer League he played for Idaho Falls in 2013 so just four years of separation for each of those guys from debuting in the Pioneer League to winning rookie of the year in the major leagues so it shows you how that can be kind of a springboard to get things started on a professional baseball career strike three this week Sam nearing the midway point for most full season leagues. We've seen some guys who've gone out and struggled. Who is a pick on your side to watch in the second half to get a season turned around and back on track? Yeah, this is more just struggles in terms of the way we traditionally look at stats. And I think we've done a pretty good job both on the site and on this podcast of kind of, you know, always keeping things in check, you know, not getting too caught up in, in certainly wins and losses for pitchers or ERA or batting average, um, knowing that things can go a little deeper. But if you're going to look at just that traditional stat of ERA, uh, Yadier Alvarez, who's one of the top prospects in the Dodgers system, it's not been a great start to the year for him uh, at Class A Advanced Rancho Cucamonga. Uh, he's posted a 5.32 ERA uh, in 11 appearances. That's 45 and two-thirds innings. But the reason why I think that's going to get much better, not that the Cal League is going to turn into a pitcher's league overnight, but his FIP, his fielding independent pitching, is 3.82. Uh, which is a significant drop. That's a drop of uh, a run and a half, essentially, if you're thinking about them in the same scale. Uh, and he's still striking out batters. He's averaged 9.3 strikeouts per nine innings. He's striking out 23.4% of batters. Uh, so all the, the peripheral stuff is there for him to really, you know, it, it just the numbers need to catch up with his, his performance. He's got one of the best fastballs you're going to see out of in the minors, which is really interesting to watch it coming out of him. He's six foot three, listed at 175 pounds. He does not look like a Noah Syndergaard or something like that. Somebody built to have velocity. He's a little bit of a toothpick, but has tons of velocity to go around. 
Uh, really impressive breaking stuff with, with his slider and his curve and his changeup is can be an above average pitch as well. So he's got all those packages of pitches to kind of to dominate even at this Class A advanced level in the in the California League. And I and I expect him to kind of turn that around, get him you know back into the swing of things as he's starting to add innings, as he's starting to figure out hitters, uh, getting into the rhythm of it. Uh, I would not be surprised if that ERA. Uh, catches up to that FIP, and you know, I, I don't think anybody's losing, or I don't think Alvarez has, uh, you know, lost his reputation, or anybody is losing faith in him, anything like that. I think people generally know what he's kind of up against in that Cal League, and sometimes uh, teams that or organizations that have teams in the Cal League don't want to keep their pitchers there for too long. I remember uh, a couple of years ago, the Mariners had Taiwan Walker just completely skip over the Cal League and go straight to Double A Jackson, and he struggled for a while. But they would rather have him take his lumps at the Double A level, where he's not going to give up these cheap homers. Um, and uh, the Dodgers aren't obviously aren't taking that track. But uh, you know, I think Alvarez is going to kind of find himself. The fact that he's limiting contact, that he's still getting these strikeout numbers, he's still really difficult to touch. Uh, makes him as an intriguing process or prospect now as he was on opening day. Um, so if you're a Dodgers fan, you're getting kind of worried. Um, you know, oh, Yadier Alvarez isn't the dominant Pedro Martinez type stuff that, or type of results that we were expecting. Don't worry. Know what the league is and expect that he, even despite the league, he will pitch beyond it. I wouldn't be surprised if he makes Tulsa uh, by the end of the year just to give him a taste uh, before starting there in 2018. So, uh, yeah, that... Yadier Alvarez, he's my pick for probably a stronger second half than we saw in the first. One guy who we have almost kind of forgotten about this year because he's been so quiet and somebody we talked about a ton over the last two seasons uh, is Tyler O'Neill in the Seattle Mariners organization. And so far this year, O'Neill has really struggled in his first taste of AAA uh, with the Tacoma Rainiers. But that's a guy who I just don't see – struggling for too much longer so far this year in 67 games he's batted 216 with a 662 OPS only six home runs and we know just how much Tyler O'Neill hits for power we haven't seen that out of him this year but one thing to keep in mind last year he kind of followed a different track um, through that outstanding season with double a Jackson in the first half he batted 321 with a 936 OPS that was in 68 games tailed off in the second half to a 261 average but the OPS dropped to 822 the power was still there it wasn't reaching at quite the same rate but that was a bit of a tail off but two years ago when we really started learning and thinking and talking about Tyler O'Neill was with class a advanced Bakersfield and the California League and during that season Struggled in the first half, a 240 average in 57 games. He hit 14 homers and he OPS 754. Second half, 49 games. Average went up 46 points to 286. The OPS jumped over 1,000. It was at 1020. He had 18 homers in the second half and drove in 48 and 49 games. I think his game is one that adjusts well, um, but sometimes it takes a little while. We've we've both talked to Tyler O'Neill. We kind of have gotten the the feel for him as being a pretty cerebral guy in the way he approaches the game. At AAA, that's going to take even longer than what it would take at AA or the Class A advanced level. He struck out a lot so far to start this season. 77 strikeouts already for Tyler O'Neill uh, at the start of this year in 67 games compare that with 27 walks so the the issue in making contact has been there but I think that's a a swing 
and a profile that can adapt. He's in the least hitter-friendly environment in the Pacific Coast League in Tacoma, so that doesn't help you out as a hitter. But I just see his hitting approach has always been so mature. And granted, Tyler O'Neill is still 21 years old. He's still well below the age of the level at AAA. But I feel like if we're going to see a bounce back from somebody in that vein, that power prospect who struggled, he's a guy that I like in the second half. Yeah, and just to kind of bring up what you were talking about in terms of um, you know his strikeout numbers, that's actually pretty equal. Last year, he struck out 26.1% of the time at AA Jackson and still put up those monster numbers, you know, 293 average, uh, the OPS that you mentioned, all that kind of stuff, the 24 homers. This year, he's striking out 27.6%. Yeah, that's up like a point and a half, but it's still not into the 30s. Right. It's not like he's swinging and missing more than he ever has uh you know the fact that he's kind of kept that stable despite the move up uh is a little encouraging for me to be honest with you just because i thought you know triple a pitchers were going to figure him out even more so and it was going to be a lot more of this um you know a lot more swing and miss a lot of more sw- swinging for the fences that kind of stuff uh if there's another reason to be encouraged by o'neill last year his and i'm going to get this wrong and people have pointed this out to me before I say babip. A lot of people <laughs> out there say babip. I say babip. I'll, I'll, it's a made-up word either way. The people. How about that? Batting average on babip. balls in play is what it, for yes. those of you who, who haven't heard it before or have heard it one way and didn't know that there was another pronunciation either way. Right. So his babip last year uh, at AA Jackson was 364, which is pretty high, but for somebody who makes lots of hard contact, there, there's some reason – uh, there's some reasoning to think that that's pretty solid. Uh, this year it's dropped to 284, so that's going to explain below average. why you the kind of expect about 300 ish. Right. Normally it's around 300. So even if we do think that 364 is high, this is even still particularly low. Getting unlucky. Uh, just looking b- back at his numbers, he has not had a Babbitt lower than 303 at a full season level. Um, so there might be some luck involved here. Uh, I certainly expect the average to climb. I expect the OBP to get up at least over 310 in the second half. Um, and that power, you know, you watch him take batting practice. You watch him in any kind of scenario. You know the power is real. Um, so I think he's going to tap into that as well. Everything else is kind of average. It just seems like his luck is a little bit down. Uh, but that's something that can certainly turn around in the second half. So uh, if you're not a, a fan of a short-season team and you really just want some storylines to follow in the second half and full-season ball, there you go. There's a couple to keep an eye on for the 2017 remainder at the upper levels of the minor leagues. And uh, that's strike number three for this week. But we do have a couple of foul balls. It's the second time that we are going to uh, name drop Matt Marshall, who got in touch to let us know that his Zoom had died, but also had a couple of questions for us that were draft-related. So we're going to go with two foul balls for this week's show. Um, Sam, number one, four. And these are draft-related questions. Of course, the Major League Baseball first-year player draft wrapping up last week. We talked a lot about the draft. These are follow-ups to that. For players who are picked outside of the top 10 rounds in the draft, is there a cap on a bonus that can be offered to those players? Guys drafted in rounds 11 through 40. Yes. Uh, Short answer is yes. So we talked before about there being signing bonus pools. Everybody has a certain amount of money. Um, You know, each pick has an assigned value, an assigned slot value. Total that all up for all your picks. That's your bonus pool. You can kind of move things around, sign guys for overslot, underslot. As long as you fit under the the pool, you're fine. Um, But any pick after the 10th round, so like Tyler said, 11 through 40, uh, they can be signed for up to a signing bonus of $100,000. 
Um, you could sign literally every pick you have from 11 to 40 at $100,000 if you wanted to. No penalty. It's fine. Um, but anything over $100,000, the difference is what comes out of the signing bonus pool. Um, so that that's a, so you could still you conceivably do that. You know, you have you you sign your first you know first ten round picks. Uh, you still have some money to play with. Sure, maybe try to sign a you know a high school guy in the twelfth round for one hundred seventy five thousand dollars if it makes sense. Like you can still do that, and there be no penalty. You just have to know that it's coming out of that bonus pool. So we actually saw this come into play last year. A uh, friend of the podcast, T.J. Friedel. Um, you know, he was technically an undrafted free agent after nobody realized he was draft eligible coming out of Nevada. Um, he signed with the Reds for $732,500. Uh, that counted because he was not technically drafted. That still, you know, counts as it, it's over a hundred thousand um, dollars. So the, there was, you know, the 632 thousand five hundred counted towards the Reds bonus and then there were some penalties over that it ended up that his signing costed about like 1.18 million I think um, but still the Reds were able to make that work because they did have some room in their bonus pool um, so that is why he signed with the Reds after all these other teams had all their money accounted for the Reds had a little bit of flexibility and they were able to go and get him above that hundred thousand dollar mark uh, but also that's I think that's what Tim Tebow signed for do you remember that time yeah correct yeah, Tim Tebow signed for $100,000, and that was basically, again, because undrafted player, that was the max he could sign for, and that's what the Mets got him for. So, that's uh, foul ball number one. Number two, for any picks that are coming out of high school, can a team set aside money for that player to attend college at a later date? And if so, does that count against the cap for top 10-round players? We've actually had this discussion with players on the podcast before and in stories before, um, guys who did work in a plan to go back to school after their pro careers were over. But, Sam, take this one. Yeah, so basically it's called the, the college scholarship program. Um, yes, they can, you know, teams normally will try to negotiate that in. They say we will pay, you know, Four, four years of school for you if you decide to go pro now. So you, a lot of these guys will say, well, I really value my education, and that's kind of a talking point for MLB clubs. They'll just say, hey, we'll get you your education and you, you can start pro ball. We'll take care of all of that for you. Um, and it actually it does not count towards the team's bonus pool. That's one, one thing to know. They also, teams do not have to do this. It's a negotiating tactic that they can have, but you just because you draft a high school player – uh, and you start negotiating a, a signing bonus does not mean you are automatically locked into paying for that kid's college fund. Um, so it's just kind of a nego negotiating tactic does not count towards the pool. It, it doesn't mean if you sign a guy for one and a half million dollars and you say we'll give you two hundred thousand dollars for college. All of a sudden it's a one point seven million dollar uh, signing bonus you know, towards your pool. Uh, it's completely separate. Uh, that actually changed a little bit in this CBA. Uh, Baseball America did a story on this. I think it was Hudson Belinsky. Uh, he just noted that there is now a two-year redemption window for the player to take advantage of this scholarship after his career ends. So if he retires and the team said, we set aside this money for you for your college, they can do it two years after they retire. Uh, the other one is that they can redeem you know, their participation in the college scholarship program at most accredited institutions, including vocational schools, I'm reading directly from the Baseball America story now, but not at for-profit universities with graduation rates below 50%. Um, so that just 
yeah, that that's more technical side for the players themselves on where they can redeem it and um, when they can redeem it. But just so everybody knows, if you hear that, you know, a high school player has also negotiated participation in the college scholarship program, it's not uh, a part of that signing bonus. So there you have it. Uh, there's always a million questions when it comes to the draft and all of that money stuff because it is exceedingly confusing. But if you have questions about uh, that type of thing or anything else, get in touch. Podcast at MILB.com. We'll do our best to answer your questions, your thoughts, your comments, your concerns, and uh, and try to explain them in at least somewhat understandable terms because it still makes us scratch our head uh, a lot of the time. One thing that Sam noted um, that we should also probably mention with a little bit more detail before – we wrap up this first segment of the show. Um, the Miami Marlins will once again lose a first-round pick to Tommy John surgery just a year after right-hander Tyler Kolek underwent that procedure. Left-hander Braxton Garrett will also undergo Tommy John surgery. Actually, he was scheduled to undergo today, uh, June 20th. He was the seventh overall pick last year and was scheduled to undergo that procedure today in Pensacola, Florida with Dr. James Andrews uh, performing Tommy John surgery. Um, Garrett didn't pitch at all last year and only made four starts this year with class a greensboro went on the disabled list and is now done for the year and we'll head into 2018 rehabbing from tommy john um so that is a bummer but we're um obviously discussing the glaber torres news but another top 100 prospect in braxton garrett who will be uh on the shelf for a little while trying to get himself back righted and you know a, a bigger situation for a pitcher obviously and the rehab process is so different for somebody like that versus what it's going to be for Glaber Torres. So um, one other note that we wanted to make sure we got in there before wrapping things up in three strikes. So we're going to head uh, to the West Coast, to the California League. Our own Josh Jackson has been on site for California League All-Star Game festivities this week. He was at Fan Fest on Monday night and at the All-Star Game on Tuesday. Josh Jackson. Got a chance to catch up with Brendan Rodgers, the Colorado Rockies' top prospect who has crushed his way through the Cal League. There is a report today that the Rockies will promote him to A Hartford following the All-Star game in the California League. This has kind of been the theory on Brendan Rodgers for a while. He's been hitting over 400 in the Cal League basically all year, but really consistently for the last three weeks or so. Uh, he's been bumping it up to 405, 410. Hasn't really fallen under 400 for any considerable amount of time. Looks as if... After the All-Star game is over in the California League this week, he will join AA Hartford. So we'll hear from Brandon Rogers in one of his final interviews from Class A Advance. We'll also hear from uh, an interesting and unique story in the Cal League. 25th round selection of the Arizona Diamondbacks organization in 2013, Bud Jeter, who is a uh, right-handed pitcher in the D-back system, a reliever who is making his second consecutive Cal League All-Star game appearance, 52 outings last year in relief for Class A Advanced Visalia, 9-3 record and a 3.08 ERA. This year, 26 relief appearances already in the first half, 2.28 ERA. Josh will tell us a little bit about, a little bit about Bud Jeter's story. All that stuff coming up from Visalia and the Cal League All-Star Game next. It's been a pretty fantastic beginning of the year for you. How do you kind of assess what what's been you know going on for you so far it's just it's just kind of been so ridiculous as far as the numbers are concerned but just keep i just keep playing hard i mean we were trying to win a first half obviously and we ended up getting that done so i just wanted to the numbers really i try not to think about them too much because that that when you when you start thinking too much that's when they go down so i try to let that go and then i just tried to help the team win and ended up winning, winning the first half and 
having a good time with the team and turned out turned out good. And you, it, obviously you expect a lot from yourself and, uh, um, you know, you, you have a high bar to, to sort of judge your own performance, but have you been at all surprised at, at how well things have worked out? Uh, honestly, yeah, a little bit. I mean, I, 400's pretty, pretty tough to do, I mean, but uh, I definitely had a fair share of bloopers that fell, but, I mean, you, you need those for the lineouts that they make up for the lineouts and the balls at the wall that are caught and stuff like that. But I mean, I was just I just went out there and got got my thing done and just went out there and played hard every day. Um, yeah, and you know this is their, your second uh, All Star game and two two full pro seasons. You you like the precedent that that that's set? Yeah, it's, it's still setting the level high. Just gotta hopefully keep that going, keep <laughs> yeah. that streak going. Um, have, have there been any challenges that you've faced that that you know that we're not we're not going to be able to see just looking at, at the numbers. Uh, I mean, yeah, I've I've had a few rough games. I've had a golden sombrero. I've had a two hat tricks. So I mean, it's not every day that I come out and always get three three four hits. But it's definitely it's definitely my goal. But I mean, you're always gonna you're always gonna struggle. Baseball is a game of failure. So you're gonna fail three out of ten times. So or seven out of ten times. Sorry. But uh, just gotta keep playing, playing hard. No, nothing kind of like surprising or just just like the the in and out days of sometimes you have a yeah, bad day that, mostly. Yeah, yeah. Just, yeah. Um, yeah, I guess the last thing is you mentioned your team. Obviously, you guys. Do you feel like this is a special team? I know some of them you played with last year in Asheville, but uh, the numbers that everybody in that lineup is, is putting up are pretty Absol- special, and the pitching's been pretty good too. Absolutely. I mean, we we come out and we just. Lancaster is obviously a hitter, hitter-friendly park, and our pitchers that are here have done a great job, and everybody else. But uh, we try to just put up as many runs as we can because you never know at that park. I mean, we've we lost a few games that on some pop flies that are routine pop flies in any other park, and there ended up home runs at our park. So it's always if we're up five, six runs in the fifth inning, it's 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 not over. I mean, we still got to be aggressive on the bases and still got to keep hitting the ball and grinding out at bats. One of the fundamental concepts of the minor leagues is, if you do well as a player, you'll move up the ladder, either during the season or for the next one. Bearing that in mind, not many guys end up playing in an all-star game at the same level two years in a row. Bud Jeter, though, has done just that. After representing the Rawhide in last year's California-Carolina League all-star game in Lake Elsinore, he was named to the North Division squad for this year's Cal League All-Star Game in front of a home crowd in Visalia. He recognizes his situation is a rare one, but... I don't, I don't think too much of it. Uh, the Diamondbacks have a plan for, you know, for all of us, and I believe in that. And they, got, they got their best interest in me and for them and everything like that. So it's not that big of a deal, but it's a great honor to be, you know, selected again. I'm, yeah. I'm proud of that, so... The 2013 late round pick actually reached the Cal League for the first time in 2015, getting into 48 games. Last year, he began to look like a bona fide closer, earning 14 saves and 18 chances. But this year, he's already earned 16 saves, and he's posted a 2-2 ERA while notching 36 strikeouts over 27 and two-third innings. I've been working with the pitcher coach Jeff Baginero, and you know we were together last year, 
So we've just critiqued a few things, you know, we really worked on it in spring training together, and then that's just kind of carried over to here in the season so far, um, you know, which is just, you know, mixing it up, yeah. you know, uh, working in some change-ups, which, you know, I was more of a fastball slider guy, now I'm working in change-ups a little bit, you know, elevating fastballs, burying sliders and everything, and that's the game plans work really well. It's also embedded him in the closer's role. I do, I do enjoy closing, um, you know, if that's, if my... You know, as I move up, is that my job? I'm, I'm not sure. In the meantime, Jeter is happy to be in the All-Star game in front of the home crowd. I, I like Visalia a lot. You know, I spent three seasons here now, so it's kind of like my, my home home on the West Coast, I'd say. And uh, I like that. You know, we have great fans here. You know, the community's always behind us and everything. So it'll be fun. Lake Elsinore was a blast. They did a great job. But uh, I'm excited to see what Visalia has. Josh Jackson, you can find on Twitter and follow all of the best and brightest from the Cal League All-Star festivities. You'll have to look back through his feed in order to find it once you're listening to this podcast. But ask jo- at Josh Jackson, M-I-L-B on Twitter. Brendan Rogers is at B-R-O and then like 97 Ds. You can just search for Brendan Rogers on Twitter. Not the, uh, not the European football manager. Because when Brendan Rodgers was fired from Liverpool, a whole bunch of people were tweeting at Brendan Rodgers, the shortstop, and he finally had to tweet, I'm not the Liverpool manager a couple of years ago. Um, so don't get him confused. Where is he now? Celtic FC? Something like that? Celtic, sir. Oh, is it actually Celtic? Celtic. Yes, oh, I'm not Celtic. a soccer fan. Uh, Celtic <laughs> is one of my favorite teams, but that's a that's a different story. Oh. That's That we can say for our soccer podcast. Oh, okay. Don't release onto the internet. Men with no blazers. Yes, exactly. I wouldn't know how to talk about it. Um, <laughs> I feel I feel so out of place having momentary soccer conversation. But anyway, Brendan Rodgers is not a European football manager. Um, and Bud Jeter as well. Big thanks to him and Brendan Rodgers for joining the show. Sam, let's talk about something else. Brendan Rodgers um, in the California League got his career started in the Pioneer League, which we discussed earlier. Benjamin Hill would ordinarily join us this segment. Ben is actually journeying to the Pioneer League right now. It is basically the last circuit that he has yet to it's kind of the the final frontier for ben it's like outer space for ben but he's going to hit up the pioneer league uh coming up this week and into next so no ben this week but we are going to dive a little bit further into a topic that we broached a little bit in the first segment. Brendan Rodgers has been crushing the baseball all season long for Class A Advanced Lancaster. Got his season started a little bit late uh, with, I believe it was a wrist injury that he had coming out of spring training this year. Um, the Rockies are notoriously very tight-lipped about injuries, but Brendan Rodgers got back into action on April 24th. And since then, he has been basically a 400 hitter uh, for the last two weeks straight. At the All-Star break, his slash line is 400, 419, 700. That's an 1119 OPS for a guy who's only walked six times all year. But the conversation has really been, for about the last three weeks or so, why is he still in the Cal League? And a theory that a lot of us, I think, had positive for the last few weeks is he's an obvious shoe-in for the All-Star game. That's a very cool honor for a minor league prospect. The Rockies are probably going to let him have that moment in the sun, and then he's going to be shipped off to Hartford, and he'll get a chance to try himself in A. That is the latest report. Baseball America's Hudson Belinsky was the first one on that today. So that's what it looks like the plan is for Brendan Rodgers. We've seen organizations not go that way. 
AJ Puck was a name we talked about last week as being one of the really few names to watch in terms of top 100 prospects on the North Division side in the California League. The Oakland Athletics decided we don't need him to stick around for an all-star game, might not even pitch in it anyway. He's off to Midland. So different discussion a little bit with a pitcher and a position player, but how do you fall on this debate? When is the proper time in a situation like this to get a guy up to the next level? Yeah, I mean, it's so complicated depending on so many different factors. Um, and, you know, a lot of that nuance is, is kind of lost, I think, in this social media age. Maybe not necessarily. I shouldn't blame it entirely on social media. I think that's just the, the microphone we all use uh, to discuss, you know, especially as fans, you know, who should be get getting promoted quicker. Um, but it, it's just kind of weird how that's changed in terms of, you know, so-and-so does well, it's immediately call this person up. Well, it's a little bit more nuanced for that. So let, let's take Rogers versus Puck, right? So Puck was striking out everybody in the Cal League. It was, it was very clear that he needed a new test. You know, yeah, there were some control issues. Uh, yeah, the, the evaluation is different for a pitcher than it is a position player. Um, you know, he needed to show consistency, and you can only do that so often when you're – pitching every five or six days, so it can take a little bit longer for a pitcher. Especially in a situation kind of like Stockton had where they had at the beginning of the season what I think was deemed an eight-man rotation where starters were – they would start one outing and then they would piggyback in a relief roll the next time out. So you didn't even get a chance to see those guys necessarily the way that you want to see them progress as starters until May. So it was even a, a shorter timetable to determine that for A.J. Puck. Yeah, for sure. And – um but the other thing about AJ Puck, the reason why he's probably getting pushed, you know, a week earlier than Rogers is he always seemed like a guy who was set up to get to move quickly. You know, college arm. There was lots of talk last year about him being the number one overall pick to the Phillies. Obviously, things didn't work out that way. He fell to the the A's in the first round. Uh, but he was a college guy. He's well built. You know, six foot seven, two hundred twenty pounds. He's durable. Uh, he's got the stuff. He. he can do all these things to move quick uh, as opposed to somebody like Brendan Rogers, who's coming out of high school. And what is the conversation normally about high school guys? It's that, you know, you want to see them get a full season. You just want to see them find that success, get into the routine of pro ball. Uh, you know, Rogers was able to do that last year at class a Asheville, but he only played 110 games. Um, you know, that that's still a good amount, especially for a guy in his first full season, but it's not, you know, 140. It's it, there's still some hurdles he needs to clear. Like you said, he started out th this year on the DL, um, or you know, very early was on the DL, missed a good chunk of April, so he's still got to clear that. No matter what he's doing with the baseball, no matter how hard he's hitting it, uh, and then there's also that, you know, the, the fact that he's playing in Lancaster. Um, you know, I, I bring this up every time. With him, he was hitting 495 at home in this first half in 23 games at home compared to a 308 average on the road. That would be very good. You know, let's get it straight. His 308 average, 835 OPS, very good. Exactly what I would expect out of Brendan Rodgers if he were making the jump. Now, he was able to take advantage of Lancaster in a way few others ever have. You know, eight homers, 14 doubles. He had as many extra base hits as he had games played at the hangar in Lancaster. Um, so, you know, the, the Rockies, they always have to take that into account with these guys. Uh, you know, yes, they're tearing the cover off the ball. Yes, they might need a challenge. But with somebody like him, you know, still being 20 years old, you don't want to throw him into the fire of the 
the Eastern League, and not that the Eastern League is entirely a fire, but it's still a step up. You know, going from Class A advanced to Double A is a big step. He's going to be facing guys with major league experience potentially for the first time outside of rehab outings. Uh, it's it's a whole new world out there in Hartford. Uh, you know, you want him there with as much confidence as possible, and maybe that plays into what you were talking about earlier, Tyler, in terms of getting that All Star game experience, seeing it rewarded with something off the field, like it, it would be, um, you know, with this trip to the Cal League All Star game. So, uh, I, whenever I'm thinking now, I mean, I had a very interesting conversation. This is a completely different organization. Uh, but with the farm director of the Cardinals uh, this spring, their philosophy is that they try to bring up guys when they are going to be below league average. They want them to be below league average, take their lumps, make adjustments, Interesting. become above league average, and then get the bump. They don't want them to show up and just hit right away. Um, so I think that's more what the A's are looking for, you know, AJ Puck had ironed out some of his control issues, was really starting to dominate. Immediately, they move him quick. I don't think the Rockies are quite that same way. Uh, I think back to Ryan McMahon, who's having a heck of a season this year. I just wrote him up this week as the PCL Player of the Week. Uh, he is hitting 444 for Albuquerque, but he played at Hartford last year. He was kind of following the same steps as Rogers. You know, he was hitting. He did Grand Junction for a full year or for and he was there for the entire 2013 season he did Asheville for an entire season in 2014 Modesto for an entire season in 2015 then was in Hartford for all of last year really struggled there hit just 242 uh, with a 724 OPS not exactly the numbers he had put up elsewhere they sent him back to Hartford so I think the Rockies kind of have this idea that you really need to prove to us that you are ready for that next level now what did Ryan McMahon do in the first half this year Hit 326, 395, 36 for a 926 OPS uh, in 49 games at Hartford. Told me this week he worked really hard in spring uh, to kind of change his approach at the plate. Tried to make his swing less loopy. It's obviously worked out. Um, so they want you learning lessons where you are. They don't want, uh, or they don't want you to get. They want you to learn lessons and see results first. Uh, and they want you to really see them. And obviously they thought Rodgers has done that, uh, but that's going to be different in every organization. The Rockies sort of have a, a philosophy. You're talking about the, the Cardinals philosophy. The Rockies buzzwords or buzz phrase is always, he'll let us know when he's ready. He'll tell us when he's ready to be promoted. Not in, a, in an actual sense of Brendan Rodgers calling the Rockies player development staff and saying, okay, I'm ready to go to Hartford, but in the fact that the consistency is still there. With a kid who's coming out of high school, and I think that's important, as Sam noted, Brendan Rodgers won't turn 21 until August 9th of this year. There is always the possibility that, yeah, in April he hit 320 OPS, 773 in six games. May he really blew up 409 average and 1182 OPS in 27 games. There's always a possibility with a 20-year-old kid that in June the bottom's going to drop out. He's going to hit 115. He's going to strike out in 40% of his plate appearances because long-season baseball is very difficult. And for somebody like Brendan Rodgers, this is his second full season spent last year with Class A Asheville and was good, 
wasn't 400 good, um, but was was good wire to wire. Still dealt with ups and downs. And I think from the Rockies' perspective, they wanted to hang on long enough with somebody like Brendan Rodgers to make sure May wasn't a mirage. And when he got into June, he was even better in June. He batted 414 with an 1139 OPS through 15 games. Then they realized, okay, this is this is the time to go with him. But I do think that it's cool that an organization is mindful of an experience that is unique and that a guy won't get to repeat again. Brendan Rodgers went up to Hartford last week. He's not getting named to the Eastern League All-Star team because of what he did in the California League. So the fact that these guys are mindful of the reality that Brendan Rodgers only has this time in his life and in his career one time. And if he's going to be selected by his peers and by the media and by the coaches in the California League to play in a game like that and to take part in those festivities, that's cool. And organizations like to, a lot of organizations, I shouldn't say all, but a lot of organizations like to nurture that. I know in talking with some Rockies player development people uh, in spring training, that was one of the things that they really stressed for the World Baseball Classic. They had a, a minor league infielder named Scott Burcham who became kind of a hero of sorts in helping to lead Israel out of the first round uh, in the WBC in Korea, that's an opportunity that a guy like Scott Burcham isn't going to get in many other contexts. That isn't a guy who's going to be selected for a USA Baseball national team to play in the WBC, but a unique experience. The Rockies told him to go for it. They were all on board with that. Jerry Weinstein, we had on the podcast, who's the manager of AA Hartford, he managed that Team Israel squad in the World Baseball Classic, and the organization was very supportive of that. So I think that's really cool uh, along these lines with Brendan Rodgers as well. I think the conversation is definitely different if Rodgers was a college-produced position player and A.J. Puck was a high school-produced pitcher. Because in that context, I think you're looking for a much higher rate of progress. And somebody like Brendan Rodgers, if he came out of college back in 2015 and was just at the high A level in 2017 and really broke out quickly, he's going to be promoted a lot more quickly as well. Um, and for A.J. Puck, if he's a younger guy, you want to see that he can sustain that over the long haul of a full season against some really good hitters. So there is a ton that goes into this. Um, but I do think, you know, like Sam said, on the A's side, they had seen enough. And you want to see somebody like A.J. Puck make those steps toward the upper minors uh, a little bit more quickly because he's pitched at high-level baseball. He's pitched in huge games in his college career with Florida last year made some good strides right out of the draft you want to see that road be shorter to Oakland uh, than what you would see with a guy who's 19 or 20 years old at this spot for Brendan Rodgers that's a kid who's going to be going into the Eastern League at 20 years old and facing guys who are the most talented in their systems so that's where you're really going to be tested. And I do like that philosophy a lot that you don't want to see guys go in and just dominate. And I think that's the other risk that you run is you don't want somebody like Brendan Rodgers to languish and do nothing but hit four or 500 for a span of a month and a half because that's not doing anything to develop a player. If you got really good at Madden on PlayStation 4, you wouldn't play it on rookie level always. You would bump up the difficulty. That is sort of the same context, grossly simplified, uh, for player, say, for player for development. Yourself. Some of us like it. <laughs> I, I just don't. I think that's uh, a huge point with um, finding that balance is you want a guy to have success. You want him to be playing the game in, in a manner that you see a lot of progress. You also don't want him just going out there dominating against lesser competition and not getting any better. And you only get better against better competition. So it's a tough line to toe, but Brendan Rodgers presumably will play in the Cal League All-Star game and be on a flight to Hartford the next morning. Yeah, and one thing we should point out too is – 
we've been using the example of high school and college and not, obviously everybody's got different backgrounds, but I'll just go back to Torres, what we were talking about with him before. Um, you know, he only had 32 games of double A experience before he got bumped to triple A Scranton Wilkes-Barre and he didn't have any double A experience last year. I mean, this is not like a, you know, he was building on something here. This was the Yankees just identifying that he was ready and going to move. I mean, there's other things involved as much as we get caught up in stats and, and everybody does to a point um, because it's it's the clear, clearest evidence we have of somebody either struggling or doing well. Um, but, you know, they're getting reports every day. They, they know what the player is doing. They know when a, you know, a hard hit ball is not being rewarded and they know when, uh, you know, they're not being challenged anymore. Or they're taking plays off or they it can show up in the player himself. Um, so, you know, it, it I, I just go back to the fact that it's going to vary by organization. Each one has its own strategy. Uh, I know the Yankees, when they brought up Torres, they were just saying, listen, he was ready for it. Uh, you know, there's no point in ha him hanging around if we see everything we need to see and we want to try some new stuff with him. That's when you make the move. I mean, each player is different. Each organization is different. Um, but it, the idea of Puck and Rogers, uh, I think, crystallize it a little bit more so about that organizational differences uh, than our usual examples. So the the moral is every organization does it differently, but um, it's it's also important to point out that there is no template. There's no boilerplate for these guys either. And what you think is going to yeah, work with it. one prospect isn't going to work with another necessarily also. So that's something to keep in mind. And um, something that's always fascinated me talking to player development people is how they seem to be so in tune with every player's individual needs, which I think is a, a, big sea change in player development from probably what would have been a conversation 20 or 30 years ago. And how do you expect guys to develop? Not that they assumed everybody was the same, but I think you more likely assumed everybody can pretty much generally follow the same track, and it's either going to work or it's not going to work. Nowadays, everything is so highly specialized and highly tailored to get every prospect to his threshold and to his ceiling uh, that it, it works differently for everybody. It works differently in every organization. It works differently on the position player side and the pitcher side. Catchers work differently. It's so intricate for each and every prospect that what we see from Brendan Rodgers maybe isn't necessarily what we would see from somebody with Rancho Cucamonga who is doing the same thing in the Dodgers organization or whoever in the Carolina League is doing the same thing in the Texas Rangers organization with the Downies Wood Ducks, something like that. Uh, so that's always something to keep in mind as well. But um, those those decisions are they're difficult and they're tenuous, um, but they're exciting to watch from our perspective because we don't have to live with the uh, with the struggles if guys go up to a, a higher <laughs> level and they can't quite hack it yet. Um, but it's it's fun to see guys like this making the climb. Yeah, I, I'm more excited, I think, when I get surprised that somebody was bumped a little too early or even a little late uh, later than I was yeah. imagining yeah. because that that tells me something I don't know. And all of these all of these roster moves are kind of learning moments, not just for the player, not just for the organization, but also uh, for us who follow them on a daily basis. How they handle the move and when the move came is, is something we can always learn about, about these guys and how they're viewed internally and how we should view them externally. So 
Um, keep an eye on your favorite players throughout your minor league organizations. If guys are crushing the ball right now, this is really the time of year to keep a closer eye on where players are and where they could be headed because around the time that first half titles start to get wrapped up in the season that divide into two halves at the lower levels of the minor leagues, you won't see this at AAA, obviously, with division titles in the first and second half, etc., um, or in uh, in the AA Eastern League. But for leagues like the Cal League, the Carolina League, the Florida State League, the Texas League, Southern League, those types of circuits that have rosters that will be vastly different after their all-star breaks, that's the reason why. It's just a good stopping point for a guy's development if he seems ready for the next level. So um, watch that in your organization because this is the time of year where things can uh, see some some massive changes headed over the next couple of weeks. Um, with no Ben... We'll move on and we'll wrap things up. The show before the show podcast, episode number 115, closing out next. It's been a whole ton of Tyler and Sam this week. I apologize for for my side of it. Sam has been great, though. I, I too, apologize, just for the record. I, I, it just it, This feels like, like a Charlie Rose episode, like a conversation with Sam and this Tyler about my This is our PBS episode, yeah. Yeah, instead of like the minor league baseball podcast, this is just us talking. This is really just like it's fresh air with Sam and Tyler. Oh, <laughs> if it was fresh air, it would be much more hushed tone, and my my questions would be like much more way more insightful. Yeah, we would. When we brought up your birthday earlier, Tyler, we would bring up what your birthday reminds you of when you were six. Now, one thing you said in your memoir, you remember. <laughs> uh, what are you watching on MILB.TV this week? We've got uh, short season league starting up all over the place. If you would like to subscribe to MILB.TV, you can still do so at MILB.TV or MILB.com. Um, Sam, what are you watching? Yeah, so uh, anybody who is keeping track of the home run derbies this week, just be because it is also all-star game week there were a couple of home run derbies uh this week on monday uh the obvious highlight was eloy jimenez cubs talk prospect pu- pulling a roy hobbs and just hitting the um uh, the lights out in left field and left in uh salem virginia during the carolina league all-star game was really cool to see i mean you, you just watch the contact it, it, it wasn't like a normal home run derby it was not all right, throw, hit, let's watch it. It was literally just pitch, 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 hitting, hitting, hitting. Like he was on to the next at bat by the time you yeah. saw lights falling from the sky, uh, which was really neat. We got a video of it on the site. Uh, check that out if you get a chance. So he's going to be back with Myrtle Beach uh, this weekend after the All-Star break. Uh, they're playing down east this weekend um, for – let me check how many games they're playing uh, against the down east Wood Ducks. Seems like a bunch. So they're – Pretty much through Sunday, uh, they will be playing against Myrtle Beach. All of those games on MILB.TV. Uh, Eloy Jimenez's at bats are pretty much pretty much watch must watch stuff already. Um, but after that home run, if he can turn that into a game, that would be awesome. So don't miss your chance to see him uh, potentially turn the lights out against Down East this weekend. Ah, turn the lights out. I see what you did there. I'm going to go to the Pacific Coast League and um, actually a couple of different teams that have guys at the plate who have been way fun to watch in recent weeks. Ahmed Rosario and Dom Smith 
with the Las Vegas 51s. Dominic Smith, friend of the podcast, has batted 318, 370, 463 this season in 71 games for AAA Las Vegas. He is 22 years old, uh, and Dominic Smith is really good. Ahmed Rosario has been even better, and he's 21 in 69 games this year. A nice slash line of 325, 368, 479, also seven homers for him. Uh, Las Vegas will be home this weekend, taking on the Salt Lake Bees, a AAA affiliate of the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. The Fresno Grizzlies, it's like every night we look at Fresno, somebody is just going off and doing something insane. Tony Kemp on that team now has, I believe, five straight multi-hit games and a uh, hitting streak that reached 10 as of Monday night. Again, we're recording on Tuesday. Colin Moran has gone off for that team as of recent weeks. Moran, the 2013 first-round pick by the Miami Marlins out of North Carolina. This season, a slash line of 281, 343, 535, but now 15 homers, and in May and June, he is just crushed the baseball all over the place already seven home runs in june through just 16 games he's driven in 19 runs 18 of those have come over his last nine games of the plate uh, and fresno will host sacramento this weekend for kind of a strangely structured thursday friday saturday series with a saturday doubleheader and then an off day sunday but you can catch those games at milb.tv as well charlie rose episode wrapping up <laughs> I w- Does Charlie Rose have like a signature sign off? I don't think so. I don't know. I guess I don't watch enough Charlie Rose. I know we're, we're learned <laughs> enough to make a Charlie Rose reference, but not complete the survey. Anybody who's like in college or younger listening to this podcast is like Charlie Rose. What are these two nerds talking about? Or, or we're educate just one really educated 17 year old. <laughs> ah, yes. Who's a PBS ah, fan. Yes, Charlie Rose. Yelling, you idiots. <laughs> Ah, he's Sam Dykstra. I'm Tyler Mond. A whole host of minor league all-star games this week that will be coming down from next week. And we'll break down. We'll give us uh, give you our returns on some all-star game performances and what to look forward to in the second half beyond what we already have. Big thanks to Josh Jackson and his work in the California League with the Cal League all-star game, Brendan Rogers, Bud Jeter, and all the rest of them. And uh, until next week, we'll talk to you then. He's Sam Dykstra. I'm Tyler Mond. Enjoy the all-star games. Talk to you next week. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.